0: Welcome back to the Footy Talks Podcast. My name is Mitchell Tierney, MLS editor here at Homestand Sports. And yes, we have made it past our pilot episode and onto episode two. Ahead on the show, we will talk Champions League, both of the CONCACAF and UEFA variety. We'll briefly discuss some Canadian men's national team news and, of course, our crazy soccer story of the week. This week also sees the show reach into its bag of co hosts and pull out Joshua Cloak of The Athletic. Uh, he's a regular on the Footy Talks live panels. Uh, you've been to all of them, haven't you, up to this point, Josh? I think so. Like, I. Yeah,
1: I think so. I remember Kevin and I talking about them, you know, back when the puck talks and the the pitch talks were like the thing to do. Uh, And yeah, they're, they're, they're fantastic. They're a lot of fun. Great crowds. I haven't been to a, like um, a puck talks in a while, but I remember those first few footy talks were like really rambunctious compared to like other talks. So great crowds, I guess.
0: And that's exactly what you'd expect from footy fans. Uh, so Cloak being a real household name in the homestand sports circles and now a household name in the Toronto FC beat as well. And that's where we will start today's show. On Tuesday night, Toronto FC traveled down to Mexico and into the stadium they call the Volcano, home of Tigris. It was the second leg of the CONCACAF Champions League quarterfinal. Um, which they were leading 2-1 on aggregate, and the match kind of started like you would expect. Toronto FC sat back, um, they were holding Tigres at bay, and then they scored in uh, the 60th minute, and everything just went crazy. Um, Josh, we've had some time to, a couple days now, to look back at this at this game. Um, what are your thoughts on what was probably the, one of the craziest games in Toronto FC's history? It was dramatic, and... Uh... I didn't give TFC, like, a good shot going in.
1: Like, I just thought there's, there's too much quality on this Tigris side and, and you know, you're, you're, you're playing at home in a, in a stadium that is not very kind to visitors. Um, but it, it, this, this ability on TFC's behalf to just find ways to win, which I know is one of the ultimate sports cliches, it's become true, hasn't it? I mean, you get an own goal which is very strange. Um, and you know, not what you were expecting, but they just, they, they find ways to just mentally overcome these, these hurdles like playing in a very difficult environment like the, you know, the volcano. Um, so it's impressive. And I mean, a,
0: a Javinko free kick never hurts things either. Right. Absolutely. And I, I wanted to pick up on Sebastian Javinko Um, He's really had quite a great start to the season and evidently we talk about him changing as a player he he tends to score more from free kicks now than he did from open play um, MLS teams seem to have figured him out a little bit last season but he seems to really be evolving as a player this season what did you make of him over these two legs and in this start to the MLS season where you know once again he's looked like a bit of a world beater for Toronto FC well, you're right. I mean it's it's very difficult to defend against Javinko
1: because first of all he's he's quick and and he's as tactically precise on the ball as, as any player I'd argue in North America. So one v one he's very difficult to defend against and, and you know, more often than not he beats you and if you foul him, you know, as he plays close to the box, you're you're leaving yourself liable for, you know, Sebastian Javinko free kick. So he can come at you from a number of ways, but you know we saw him last season drift in and out of games, and and we saw him forcing shots early in the season, and he, he didn't exactly look like the Javinko of, of, 2015 and 2016. These two legs, I mean, he's a big game player. He gets up for these games, and he 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 understands that uh, you know a, a Concacaf uh, quarterfinal against Tigres is very different than a a Tuesday against. Minnesota United no slag on Minnesota United but he understands the difference and he gets up for him and his he had legs during that second match and he was he was very dynamic and he was very creative near you know within the box which you don't often see like I said you, you sometimes see him forcing shots but his creativity was good and he he moved really really well and I mean he always earns these free kicks because of of how dangerous he is near the box but you just felt like the fact that he had two, and he—that's a product of his movement, and it was—I um, I mean, it's as impressive as it always is when he's on his game, right?
0: Absolutely. Uh, and you speak of players who are up for this tie against Tigres, and Chris Mavinga really comes to mind. I mean, usually when you talk about defenders, you know, you you almost don't want to notice them, but <laughs> definitely notice Chris Mavinga over these two legs—some huge tackles, um, a big clearance off the line that. Really might have saved Toronto FC because if Tigris scores early there, you know this game's completely different and they have all kinds of confidence and perhaps Toronto's bubble gets burst a little bit. Um, what have you made of Mavinga's start to this season? I mean, he he really seems like he's coming into his own as one of the best defenders MLS has on offer.
1: Yeah, I mean when you talk about Chris Mavinga, it's hard not to go back to you know his full length debut against Atlanta mm-hmm. last season where. Eh, you know, he he had a it wasn't necessarily a bad game, but he was at fault uh, for Atlanta's two goals and it ends in a 2-2 draw. So it's hard not to look at at Chris Mavingan And I think that that's a game that he learned from. He's told me that he was naive going into that game. And, you know, Greg Vanny has told me that that, you know, no player gets, you know, took more heat for a single game than Chris did you know, in that Atlanta U game last season. So what's impressive to me is just how he's moved on and how he's, you know, begun to understand MLS as a as a league and, and how he's adapted. And the fact that he re-signed, he re-ups in a multi-year extension, um, that shows me that, that he wants into this continuing project that is TFC. But in terms of what makes him such an impressive player, it's just – his ability to time these tackles so perfectly—I um, had a chance to, uh, to speak to Chris, I guess, yesterday, Thursday, for a story that'll be out next week on the art of the tackle—and his ability to not overthink these tackles and to not, you know, to not hesitate—is is something that I think separates defenders that make careless tackles and those that make really precise, game-changing tackles. Um, so his timing is good his movement off the ball has gotten better some people could blame him for that uh that away goal that Tigers scored at BMO field 2 weeks ago but um i mean if you he also has the ability to move the ball really well up that flank as well which could come into focus a little more if um you know if if they do play a a flat 4 in the back so Lots to like about Mavinga right now and, and yeah, he's 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 proving to be one of MLS's best defenders because he doesn't play that typical MLS defender role and you know, in a, a very physical style. He's athletic, he's pacey, and it's it's like so many players on this team, it, it can be a real treat to watch, right?
0: Absolutely. And one of those players on, on Toronto FC who is also a treat to watch is Victor Vasquez and um, there wasn't much of him over these two legs. I think 26 minutes was the total he played between the two legs, and they weren't 26 of, of the most effective minutes. Um, he, He's obviously dealing with a bit of a lower back injury, and that's why Toronto FC didn't play him very often. Um, In terms of ways that Toronto FC can improve as they now progress on in this competition and move on to play Club America in the semifinals, is... You know Vasquez coming back and and being healthy potentially one of the big obvious ways that Toronto FC can still improve. Yes and no.
1: I mean I, I've sort of shifted my thinking about Victor Vasquez lately because I, I think what we got out of him last year was and by we I mean what TFC fans got out of him last year was a lot more than expected. I mean there were times where you put you could have put him in the MVP discussion. So I I don't think it should come as a shock to anyone that we will start to see less of Victor Vasquez this year. He's not necessarily getting on in age, but he's he took a lot of knocks last year and he doesn't like playing on turf and he's not a player that is you know is is really is fast on the ball, so he, he's going to play a game that, that requires a lot of deliberate movement. Um, I don't think it's, I think you have a catcher there, you have him in the pocket, you might want to use him as well. But I think we should get comfortable seeing a little less of Victor Vasquez. Um, and and I think again, we've we've spoken at length about this team's depth. Um, when you have Jonathan Osorio and Marquis Delgado playing as good as they have been, I don't think it's a big as big of a concern. You, TFC brings in Victor Vasquez last season because they needed that creative midfielder to act as the link between Michael Bradley and Chivinko and Altador. and he did that, and they won a championship. And whatever not whatever, the financial investment that they made in Victor Vasquez, I think is has paid off because they've won that championship. So to see a little less of him, I don't think that's a concern, and I don't see the need to rush him back as well. He's the kind of player that you want to make sure is a, it, it seems far away, but you want to make sure he's good and fit for the playoffs. You want to make sure he's good and fit, you know, for those uh, those late round Canadian Championship games. Um, I think you've seen enough from Delgado and Osorio so far to, to, to say let's keep going back to them if we need to and you have a catch a who can bring in those legs you know maybe from 65 or 70 minutes on so i i'm not worried about the lack of victor vasquez because it's it's clear he's carrying a few knocks and and you know if your team is doing well without him you don't
0: necessarily have to rush him back just for the sake of rushing him back right fair enough um one of the things that kind of surprised me about this match especially was after the game was done the final whistle goes off the way the tension that had been in the game uh, the intensity but you see toronto fc react as if you know this was a big win for them but it wasn't like a trophy winning game or anything like that they they kept cool they they looked like they'd been there before if, if i can use an old sports cliche um now they're moving on evidently to, to play against Club America and they really do have their eyes not just on you know, beating a Tigris or beating a Club America but winning this competition. Um, how do you feel about Toronto's odds now of potentially winning this now that they have shown that they can beat um, one of the best teams in the region?
1: Yeah, I was saying very early on that if TFC can get through Tigres, they can get through any team in this competition because that felt... Not only did that feel like a final, that 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 should have been the final. I mean, this was the best team in in MLS against um, recently, perhaps not right now, but but recently the, the the best team in Mexico. So it felt like a very fitting final. Um, Club America is having a good season, and and you know the prospect of going down and. And playing in the Azteca Stadium. That's something that I had a chance to ask a few players about um, the other day, and, and they're excited. I mean, this is a, a monumental game if we're talking about the history of the club. Um, and I, again, I, I hate to use an intangible, I really do, but their ability to find ways to win and to mentally overcome hurdles uh, because they've been there before, like you said they you know this was a team that had some really really ugly games against Red Bulls and against Columbus last season in the playoffs and once you get through those you have that wherewithal to to just continue so you know all they're doing is building i, I really look at this concacaf run as just uh, a continuation of last season so to them they they're, they're still they're still on that that journey that they started last season. So um, I, I don't know. I don't know how you could not like their odds right now. I mean, it, it's it's tough for any team. It's been proven tough for any team to come into BMO Field, and TFC have have proven that they can go to Mexico and play in hostile environments and get a result. Um, if you're a betting, if you're a betting person,
0: I really don't know how you bet against TFC right now. That semifinal will take place uh, April 3rd at BMO Field is the home leg, and then April 10th at the Azteca Stadium. Um, Evidently, the stats still aren't with Toronto FC on this. Only one MLS team has qualified for the CONCACAF Champions League final in the last six years. That was the Montreal Impact, who Toronto FC will face in MLS action on Saturday at the Big O. Um, it's, It's almost funny. This one seems a little less significant considering, you know, how intense the games have been lately for Toronto FC. But, um, you know, do we expect heavy rotation for this one? Um, will they, you know, perhaps switch up the formation? I would imagine Chris Mavinga won't be there. Um, and perhaps Justin Morrow, some of the guys who who have picked up Knox. Um, what what can we expect from this match from a Toronto FC perspective?
1: Well as of yesterday uh Greg Vanney listed Justin Morrow as as day to day and and still not sure he listed Mavinga's you know probable and available selection mm. for selection so I expect to see Chris in there um I, you know what I learned a while back to to not try and get in Greg Vanny's head when it comes to selection I mean he he just has that ability to surprise you um at every turn but all that being said uh Josie Altador looked like he was kind of moving in quicksand in the second half of that uh, second leg. So, you 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 know you add in the turf, uh, which to Saint Ricketts is not a fan of, uh, as proven. <laughs> um, so I, I i don't expect uh, i don't expect Altidore to play. I, I you know perhaps you even give Javinko a rest, and that's probably a pretty strange looking. Um, you know, that's that's probably pretty strange up top to, to, to not see Altador and Javinko there, but you know, Greg Vanny Greg Vanny is a is a very smart man and maybe he says, you know what, all right, let's let's give Toss an opportunity to uh, to put his money uh, where his mouth is and, and and maybe we throw him into the lineup. Um, I I have to believe that they are fully, fully focused on um, you know the two-legged affair with, with Club America. And I, and I have to believe that even though they don't have a game the following weekend they want to do, they realize that they really have a shot to win this now. So if that means playing players that, that weren't in and weren't available uh, in the first leg and weren't available um, against Tigres, uh, I'm looking at a player like Jay Chapman then then why not i mean y- you talk about the depth greg vanny is proud of his depth uh
0: it's it's never too early to to see that depth right and on the montreal end of things um this is a team that's definitely in full rebuild mode now under a new head coach remy Gard. um i've i've been able to watch their first two games of the season and you know, it's the same old problem. Set pieces have been driving them nuts so far. They they have started both games um, and gotten themselves into early trouble. Uh, but they've been able to make games of it. There's definitely some talent on this Montreal team. What can we expect from the home side on Saturday? Well, you're probably going to expect a, um,
1: a, a fed-up home side, given Toss's comments. Um, <laughs> for those unaware... Uh, at training on Thursday, to Saint Ricketts TFC forward was asked about playing at the Big O, and and you know to start Drew Moore was very diplomatic. I think the most controversial thing he said was that it had a funny smell, and and Ricketts doubles down by you know saying it's a garbage place to play, uh, and he's probably referring to the turf and and the the setup of the whole stadium. I know that anchored a lot of impact fans. So you're probably going to get a, uh, a hostile reception. And you're also going to get a pretty desperate, uh, impact side that know that TFC have been playing these midweek games and know that you might not have your, 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 your best 11 out there. Uh, when you start the season as the impact have, when they haven't, like you said, they haven't been doing very well at all on set pieces. Um, Teams hit a desperation point where they, you know, they just stop and say enough is enough, um, and we have to, you know, we have to channel our inner TFC, I guess, and do whatever it takes to win. So I expect to see a very feisty impact side. I expect to see a lot out of Raheem Edwards. I think the sting of of not being protected in the expansion draft is still with him. He scored a really, really pretty goal the other weekend. And, and I think, uh, he's a player that, that, um, I rate, you know, very highly and I know a lot of other people do. So I think he wants to be that type of player that, that can prove, you know, to those who are watching that, that he was probably passed over, uh, unfairly. It's a game that's on national television as well, which generally brings out, um, well, it should bring out the best in players. So I'm expecting a a bit of a feisty affair on on Saturday.
0: Yeah, that's fair enough. As you said, the Impact will definitely want to win this one. Um, Now, multiple players from both the Impact and Toronto FC um, have been called up for the Canadian men's national team. Um, They're playing New Zealand uh, in Spain on March the 24th, um, and friendly, of course. And uh, they announced their roster this week. Uh, it was There were some surprises for me, at least. I, I thought Atiba Hutchinson was done, to be honest. Um, he came back, of course, for a friendly against Jamaica, but wasn't at the Gold Cup, seemed to be on his way out. But he is back in for this game, obviously doesn't have to travel too far for it. Um, the other big name for me was Liam Millar, um, a young Canadian playing for... Liverpool's system uh, had a really great, or he's had a really great year um, for Liverpool. Um, Liverpool's youth teams; he's been up to the U twenty three team recently and doing quite well there. Um, There's a bit of old guard on this team, and and a bit of new guard. What were your, what are your thoughts, Josh, on on the roster? Well, what I love um, is
1: that you know the three players that are getting their first appearance are all twenty years or younger. Um I'm a big proponent. You're gonna hear a lot from me this year, um about playing your kids. I'm fully on side with hashtag play your kids. And I think <laughs> and I think uh I think if John Herdman wants to use this game to his full advantage, he should be getting he should be giving Cornelius Godinho, and Millar minutes. Um I don't I I wouldn't be surprised for Hutchinson to either not play or 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 not start um I think he's there very much as a mentor now um you know it's these these friendlies where you have to travel are tough because you're bringing a lot of players and and obviously most or a majority of those players are not going to see the pitch so I'd be very interested to hear from them afterwards in terms of what kind of message Herdman communicated? We haven't heard a lot. The message, or or the communication out of Soccer Canada, has not been great uh, since since the coaching change. Um, it's been there hasn't been a lot of uh, clarity from players about uh, you know what Herdman has communicated. Uh, what we heard from to Saint Ricketts the other day was that he did reach out uh, and you know he's excited about the you know the prospect of moving forward which is something you'd probably expect him to say but you, you, you just want to you want to know what the vision is from Herdman and you want to know what what his goal is for these young players um so I'd, i again you bring these three new guys along and and it only really matters if you give them some playing time so i would really like to see what these players do and I would like to see what they're capable of. So it, I think it's up to Herdman to, you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna ask them to come, give them a fair shake. Because, uh, unfortunately, the national team has a lot of meaning, meaningless games moving forward. Um, and these are games where you want to see, you know, just how these players react to playing with, with other players that they're not comfortable with. Um, so again it 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 only really matters if it only really matters for these young call-ups if they actually see playing time and I, I really hope they do.
0: You aren't in for their rivalry with the US Virgin Islands? Uh I don't yeah, that one must have skipped me by. <laughs> yeah, that that should be quite interesting considering uh Saint Lucia handed them a 14-0 result quite recently, so that might get a little ugly, but another chance perhaps to to play your kids in all of those um, upcoming Nations League games. And evidently this is something Herdman uh, has been known to do with on the women's side of things. He integrated a lot of younger players during his time, and it would be great to see um, some of these younger guys and some of the promising up-and-coming players um, on the Canadian men's side uh get involved in in these games as you said they they don't have meaningful uh, particularly meaningful games uh for a while now so might as well get the next generation uh up and coming let's move on to Champions League now um the other Champions League UEFA um the, the round of 16 wrapped up this week um and all kinds of very interesting ties in this one um this week was, was Barcelona Chelsea uh, Barcelona, I mean, it wasn't dominant, but the especially in that second leg, it never really looked in doubt. Um, they won four one on aggregate. Evidently, with the the way that Messi's playing this year, do you think that they're the favorites now going forward? Well, aren't they always? I mean, I, I, I,
1: I still think that the Champions League is Real Madrid's territory. And we know that they haven't, you know, played their best in the league. Um, it, it's, again, uh, I, I'm I'm kind of, I'm not saying anything uh, revolutionary here. But any team that has Messi has a chance to go all the way. <laughs> um, but I, I don't consider them the favorites just yet. Uh, when you look at these quarterfinal matchups, there are some really, really juicy matchups. Um, and I think... I still think Real Madrid, given how well Ronaldo plays in the Champions League, and that, that that pains me to say, that really does pain me to say. But given how well he plays, given how this team is structured for Champions League games, like it, it for me, it's tough to not call uh, Madrid the favorites right now.
0: That's fair enough. You can never really bet against Real Madrid in, in the Champions League. Um... Now on the English side of things, um, Chelsea of course losing uh, 4-1 and Manchester United in a bit of a shock result falling 2-1 to Sevilla. Uh, there were five English teams coming into this round. Uh, now with the draw coming out and Liverpool playing City, there will only be one by the time we reach the semi-final round. So uh, once again, a bit disappointing from the Premier League in in this competition um, they haven't been to a final, of course. In the in the last five finals, they're the only one of the big four leagues that haven't made it there. W- what continues to go wrong for for England in this competition, or for English clubs rather in this competition? Because, um, really, when you looked at these these five teams on paper and and the draws that they had, you would expect more of them to have gotten through. Yeah, well,
1: perhaps that's the problem: is that you know they 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 might be underestimating opponents. Um, I, I think it's tough to kind of generalize uh, an entire country's worth of teams, considering these are very different clubs. When you look at United, I mean, everybody's going to want to pile on Mourinho and and the fact that he did play cautiously. But uh, it, it's very tough to kind of isolate why English teams can't go through and go deep in these competitions. I think it's... It's just a matter of of, and this is kind of similar to what TFC is going through. You know, you, you, you have to get there, and you have to do it once to realize not once, but it, recently you have to do it, and then you have to learn from that and say, well, what, you know, can we get over this hurdle? You almost have to convince yourself as a club that it's it's possible. And I wonder if that's kind of lacking right now uh, with a few English sides. I mean, I'm I'm not going to write off Man City. At all, we're talking about English clubs struggling. I still think there's uh, there's so much quality within Man City that they could go all the way, and and I really don't, I wouldn't want to play them in the semifinals. I mean, once you hit the semis, I don't know really who you'd want to play. Um, but no, I, I think it's just a matter of of uh, you know an English club kind of getting over the hump and getting into the semifinals and and. And going a bit deeper than expected, um, but I, I, right now I, I I can't see anything across the board that kind of unites the reason why these English clubs are struggling. I don't know. Can you?
0: Um, no, I think as you said, there's there's um, so so much different between all of these teams uh the one thing i would point to is perhaps and and everyone points to this but perhaps just how competitive the english league is comparatively in terms of you know having a distinct top 6 and there's so many tough tough league games there yeah um that perhaps that starts to wear them down um but i think the big the big thing as you said is that uh, not being there before in 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 some senses um you know teams like city teams like tottenham They haven't gotten that far in this competition before, so they're just learning um, how to find their feet in these competitions, in these two-leg ties that clubs like Real Madrid or Barcelona or Bayern uh, have so much experience in winning, and that experience ultimately shines through. Um, Now, there were two other uh, games, of course, in this week that we'll briefly mention. Uh, Roma gets through. Two two on aggregate. Uh, they won one nil in that second leg, beating Shakhtar Donetsk. Um, the <laughs> highlight of that one, a uh, ball boy being shoved over the advertising boards, which was <laughs> quite entertaining. But um, otherwise, it was a, a fairly drab one nil match. Um, and then Bayern just pretty much demolishing or d- demolishing rather, uh, Um the only exciting thing there was that cat that found its way onto the field. Um, Besiktas has, has since been fined for that incident. Um, I want to bring up Besiktas because they are involved in, in my selection for the game of the week. Um, each week on this show, we'll look at a game that uh, we think Footy Talks listeners should watch. Um, this week, I'm going to cheat a little bit here and and put two games, and there's a reason behind that. Um, on Saturday and Sunday, uh, both at noon Eastern, the Turkish league basically um, it could be decided, honestly. Um, on, on Saturday, it's the top team in the league, Galatasaray. Uh, they're on 53 points against Fenerbahce, who are in fourth on 47 points. Um, they call this the eternal rivalry. Um, you should really Google pictures and videos from this because it's insane. Fans at training have already um, started, or they were lighting flares this week, literally at training, not even at the match yet. Um, so that's how insane this this rivalry is. And then um, Besiktas, they they're in second place right now, and they're taking on Istanbul Bashiçia here, um, and they're in second and third respectively on 50 points. So all of the top four are playing. And, you know, that that's really going to be entertaining. Uh, of course, Canadians Atiba Hutchinson and Kyle Laren play for Besiktas, although in Lahren's case, play might be a little bit generous um, at the moment. Josh, do you have a pick for a, a game you think Footy Talks listeners should be listening or should be watching rather this week?
1: Yeah, I do. But before I, I share mine, I should chime in on your picks. Excellent picks. I don't think Turkish football... It's, it's, uh, gets a fair shake internationally. And I I should share that uh, between 2007 and 2008, I actually lived in Istanbul. My wife and I lived there for a year, and we had an opportunity to go watch uh, Beshitash, Galatasaray, and Fenerbahce, respectively, all live. Um, and it, it was unlike anything I've ever been a part of. Um, each club, Beshitash has since... Moved into a new stadium, but each club had a very distinctly, or you know, a very distinct feel. Galatasaray, in particular, I remember, we uh, we showed up uh, a, probably about an hour before kickoff, and tried to get tickets, and the only tickets that they had left uh, were in the south end. Um, I believe it was in the south, maybe the north end. And the the person selling us the tickets, the guy selling us the tickets, he kind of gave us this this long-winded speech in Turkish, and we obviously had no real idea what he was saying. But it was clear there was a lot of concern on his end. And you know, my wife and I and two of our friends, we said, "Yeah, okay." And that the tickets were actually quite cheap, all things considered. We said, "Okay, we're in. We're we're going to this match." And it didn't take me long, at least to kind of realized we were in the ultras section Um and I kind of, I, I kind of shared this with my wife and, and she's, Oh yeah, it'll be fun. Great atmosphere. And I said, no, like we're in the ultras section. Uh and, and I had very little time to explain what that meant. We took our seats and, and for the first 45 minutes, you, you don't sit, obviously you just stand mm-hmm. and we had no choice but to stand. And it was a very strange, surreal experience. They were actually playing, um, you pronounced it better than I did. Istanbul, Biakashar. Anyway, they and they were they went down one nil at half, and uh, in Galatasaray, and it was, it was, it, it it got it got crazy. I've never heard that kind of, you know, that that kind of fever pitch from fans. They got so angry, and I remember at halftime you hear that whistle at half, and I said, oh great, forty five minutes standing, I could use a break. And I turned around, and the guy that was standing behind me had kicked my plastic seat in half. So I had so I had nowhere to sit. He he was stomping in anger, and so I had literally no seat beneath me. So I, I you know, I, you stand through halftime as well. So um anyway, really, and just really uh, in, incredible stuff. There, people care so much about football and I, and I don't think people understand how deeply rooted football is um, in Turkish culture and, and the fact that they have three, you know, world-class teams there in Istanbul is something as well. Um, for my pick of the weekend, no surprise to anybody, I'm going to go with Bayern uh, Leipzig. <laughs> and, and I say this for a few reasons. Not only is, is Leipzig sitting sixth on the table They're fighting for their spot uh, in Europe. Um, Last year, they had an incredible season in advance to the Champions League this year. They're sitting on 40 points through 26 games, and uh, Frankfurt is just two points ahead. Hoffenheim is two points behind. So critical kind of point in the season with eight matches left. Bayern uh, sits on 66 points, 20 points ahead of Schalke in second place. So uh, with the Schalke... Draw or loss, and a Dortmund draw or loss, Bayern could win the title, uh and I mean that's, and and a Bayern win over Leipzig as well. That's pretty, you know, that's a that's pretty incredible for a team to win the title in in mid March. The other thing that I think is really interesting is the German league is is very much renowned for its fan involvement and the 50 plus one rule, which kind of dictates that you know foreign ownership is restricted and and it's like I said it's a fan-centric model and Leipzig has drawn the ire of a lot of fans in in Germany because you know they they're a team that basically has a corporate sponsor lodged in there and and you don't see that very often Um so it's kind of a clash not just of of teams at the top of the table but it's a, a clash of cultures as well Bayern is a a club that in part is is owned by fans and and you know considering how strong they are in the world game that's pretty remarkable as well um I can tell you I'll be watching uh you'll have to forgive me for the for the shout out but I will be watching with my Byron fan club Sud Curve Toronto (laughs) uh and it's uh look it's a great place to watch and and it's uh, a one o'clock kickoff is always better than a nine thirty kickoff. Great atmosphere. Really looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, let's let's pick up on Bayern actually because um, of course today the draws for the quarterfinal stage um, of the Champions League came out. Um, those matches will start on April tenth and eleventh. Um, and Bayern, of course, they, they drew Sevilla um, and while Sevilla, they, they do actually have a lot of European success um, three of the last four uh, Europa League trophies they have won, uh, they also made the Copa del Rey final this year, so they know how to win in, in cup competitions evidently, um, but at the same time, I'd have to imagine you know you must be pretty comfortable with this in terms of who you potentially could have drawn um, in this round. Uh. You know what? I'm not, and I say no. that because I say
1: that because uh, Bayern have a long history of losing to Spanish clubs, mm-hmm. and and y- you go back in our recent history. Last year in the quarters to uh, Real Madrid, uh, the year before against uh, Atletico, I mean, it's it, it's it's scary. It, it it really is. There's something about the completely different styles of play. I suppose uh, between these Spanish clubs and the, and and what Bayern tries to do, um, so I mean, yeah, would you have preferred Sevilla over Barcelona and Sevilla over Real Madrid? Of course, but I've learned to not take any Spanish club lightly moving forward, and I can assure you that that other Bayern fans likely feel the same way. I I, I would have preferred a a Man City or a Liverpool, and I think that's just the years and years of. Of just uh, treating Arsenal as a as a plaything in <laughs> in the Champions League, uh, City is obviously very dangerous. But um, yeah, Spanish clubs I'm not uh, I'm not uh, they're, they're no pushover. I'll say that.
0: Yeah, that's that's definitely an interesting perspective. I, I think the stat is five straight losses for Bayern in Spain. So um, maybe while on paper, you know, this is of course Sevilla's first uh, Champions League quarterfinal, I believe. So, um, you know, they look like the underdog, but there there is something about Spain and Bayern that doesn't go well. Uh, Moving on, um, the, I guess, kind of David and Goliath battle of this one is Roma uh, against Barcelona. Obviously, Roma do have some European success to their name as well, but they aren't having a great season in Serie A. is there, you know, is there any way you see Roma getting by Barcelona?
1: No, again, not not if you not if Messi is 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 playing at his best. He's a game changer. Um, obviously, that Barcelona side is is loaded with quality, but um, the you know I have a few uh, friends of mine that are Chelsea fans, and and you know we all kind of came to the same conclusion. If you, you're playing against a team that has you know the best in the world, arguably the best ever. Uh, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's really not much you can do, do there. So, uh, no, I, I, I don't give Roma uh, much of a chance at
0: all here. Which means they'll probably win this, uh, <laughs> considering we wrote, we both wrote them off a little bit. But I'm right. um, now moving on to. I guess the more intriguing end which uh, we'll start with Juventus Real Madrid of course the rematch of last year's final Real came out on top 4-1 there Um, there's kind of two schools of thinking especially with Real for this matchup Um, of course we we mentioned this earlier in the show but they've been quite poor domestically and you'd think that would catch up with them eventually but of course in this competition they've looked pretty solid um, really had not too many issues with PSG um and they have a proven track record of course of winning Cristiano Ronaldo has been great recently which is never a good sign if you're coming up against uh Real Madrid in the Champions League um you know do do you see them you, you said earlier you see them as the favorite to to go all the way perhaps well not perhaps I see them the favorite to
1: to win and and if Bayern should draw them in the semifinals, I'd I'd uh, I'd get mighty mighty worried. Um, yeah, with, with all due respect to Juve, I I just think again you have you have arguably uh, you know we're the best Champions League performers of all time in Ronaldo. You know, very playing very very well lately. Um, Juve are a tough team to handicap; they really are. I mean, Syria. Uh, it, can be a bit of a pushover for them at times, um, but again, in a two-game series, uh, anything can happen. But it, again, the the X factor for Barcelona is is, is Messi, and and again, it, uh, Ronaldo is is if he's on if he's playing his best, tough to argue against him as well.
0: Yeah, and I think it was really really tough on Spurs. I think for for most of of. That tie against Juventus, they really dominated them. So, I I really don't see much out of Juventus in in this leg. Um, the final one, of course, is Liverpool and Manchester City. Uh, honestly, if I could have handpicked these these quarterfinals, I would have put them together. I know that that isn't probably a popular opinion from these two clubs, who probably wanted to avoid each other and, and play someone else in Europe. Um, but the way the match they had earlier this season was. Quite an entertaining match. Um, Of course, Liverpool is the only team to beat Manchester City in the Premier League this season, but do you give them a chance? Well, not a chance, but uh, they obviously have a chance in this one, but do you think they can do it again um, over two legs in the Champions League? This has got to be Pep's biggest test,
1: doesn't it? Like This has got to be the the kind of... uh you know, two-legged affair that can really define Pep's early time at at City. Um, He was brought in to bring Champions League success to City. He has an incredible lineup at his disposal, you know, and and he hasn't been able to get past the quarterfinals. And to do so against an English side, a very plucky English side at times. I mean, again, we were talking about... uh, you know different cultures matching up. This is a team that in city that that has to be called the favorites against the Liverpool side that that does have that that mental edge and that they do know how to to beat Man City. So this is the one I'm really really looking forward to. But um, I I'm gonna look at Pep and we you know we were talking earlier about uh, Jose Mourinho and and kind of what happened at at uh, United and and his. His strategy in terms of of, of coming out and, and, and laying low, kind of kind of staying back and and not really going for it in the game against Sevilla, everything, every every move that, that Guardiola makes during this game, every player put into the lineup is going to be very, very heavily scrutinized because Liverpool is not Madrid, Bayern or Barcelona. So he got a somewhat favorable draw to get through to the semifinals, and that's the kind of this is going to be weighing very heavily on him, and it's going to be weighing very heavily on 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 city, and it's not going to be weighing as heavily on liverpool uh so a a lot to go into this so yeah i'm I'm very intrigued by this match as well.
0: Yeah, and Liverpool, they have looked great in this competition. I mean, evidently, they haven't been playing very tough teams um, up to this stage, but uh, they have been scoring for fun at, uh, to this point, so definitely going to be quite a matchup there. Um, let's move on to our final segment. Uh, we call this the crazy soccer story of the week. There's always seems to be something wild going on in, in the soccer world, and this week, pitch invasions seem to be um, the, a theme across the soccer world, of course. West Ham uh, made a lot of headlines for theirs and just really not great scenes there. Um, but the craziest one was actually comes out of the Greek League where uh, a disallowed goal for Pauk Salonica um, saw their owner take to the pitch with a gun. Now, when I first saw this headline, I thought it would be a little more exciting. I kind of thought, you know, Maybe some crazy uh like Robert De Niro type situation where he was holding a gun to the ref. He really just had it strapped to his side, but uh nonetheless that's you know not a great look, and um the league itself has actually been suspended as a result of this. Uh the referee did eventually allow the goal that that was disallowed, um, which which caused the owner to to go on the pitch. Um I, I think I would too in, in that scenario, you know, when you've got a crazy uh, at least looking crazy owner um, coming on the field so definitely quite an interesting story there and um, hopefully the greek league will get back and running soon with you know the proper um the proper suspension or whatever put in place for this owner um speaking of being angry at at goal score josh is there a moment you can remember where um, maybe not quite this this angry but um, you were quite frustrated with a goal scored in a soccer game.
1: Well, yeah, you, you know, I I was not a goal scorer in my day. I was I was more of a setup man. Uh, and I don't remember too many goals uh, of my own being disallowed, but in the past few years I've I've started coaching uh a U15 side and uh I I understand that that refs are there to do a job but but I'm the kind of guy that's always in a ref's ear uh perhaps to gain that advantage uh perhaps it's a just a perhaps as a means to to get the kids in involved and get them energized about a game as well um I had a few go- I we had a few goals disallowed last year to questionable offsides and and the thing is I, I I fancy myself a bit of a pep on the sidelines. I'm very active, very vocal, and I move a lot. And I, I, I've taken to sprinting up and down the sidelines if there's ever an absent, uh, you know, lines person. So I, I try to put myself in a good place to call offsides or to at least offer referees uh, <clears throat> friendly advice on whether or not it was or was not offside. Um, so, yeah, I get I get pretty vocal about uh, calls that are disallowed or, or, you know, calls that are offside and perhaps have not. So uh, perhaps much to the chagrin of these referees that are are there to just, you know, maybe have a nice evening out in the sun. But uh, yeah, I I, I take these probably a little too seriously than I should. But the, the game does funny
0: things to people, right? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um for me, uh it would be when I was in high school, um we lost a game 21-0. Um so any of the goals past the fifth goal at that point were probably the angriest I've ever been. It was it was brutal. We were playing the Ontario Champions and and really didn't deserve to be on the same pitch as them and just ugly they had a whole they had like three squads worth of players and we're just kept rotating them and kept scoring you you'd think the coaches would tell them to stop at some point but they never did so that result will probably go down in uh kitchener high school soccer history is one of the most lopsided results but um yeah certainly not a fun part or fun came to be um a part of on the losing end that's for sure um and that brings us to the conclusion of our show. Thanks again, Josh, for, for doing this. Um, where can the listeners find your work and uh, anything you're working on right now that you'd like to highlight? Uh, yeah, you can find me at theathleticcom
1: slash Toronto. I'll be on TFC all summer uh, and taking more of a national look at, at uh, the other MLS teams and the women's and men's team as well. Um, obviously we have, you know, a big game, like you mentioned, impact, tfc this weekend i've got a few features coming out next week including one on on the art of tackling the art of slide tackling that i'm really looking forward to uh and again if if anybody hasn't checked out the athletic yet uh great site a lot of in-depth stuff there so you should give it a look
0: absolutely um and listeners before you go just a quick reminder may 3rd At the Rivoli is Footy Talks 5. Head over to homestandsports.com to pick up your tickets. I'm Mitchell Tierney, and on behalf of the Footy Talks podcast, have a great week, everyone.